the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Hope you had a great, great weekend. Well, uh, over the weekend, of course, we had a um, we had a coup. Do we have a coup? I'm not talking about the uh, Russia hoax. I'm not even talking about the 2020 fortified election. Those aren't coups. What are you, crazy? What are you, a, a conspiracy theorist? I'm talking about whatever happened in Russia. And the Ukraine, the media first said, oh, my gosh, they're marching on Russia, on Moscow. It's a coup. And then about a day later, they said, no, there's no coup. The main guy fled uh, Prozhozhin. I don't know his name. He fled. He fled to Belarus. And then by midday Monday, uh, nobody was sure if that was true either. So at this point, we don't know if there was a coup, but we do know that the mainstream media always willing to lie, always willing to mislead, always willing to talk when they don't know anything. And we shouldn't be surprised. In a few moments, we're going to catch up with our old friend, Todd Benzman. Todd Benzman has a piece that ran a day or two ago over at thefederalist.com. In that piece, that column, essay, whatever you call it, a few thousand words, he describes how the Biden administration is doing the oldest trick in the book. You don't have to lie directly if you can use statistics. If you can use statistics and basically there is a new way of, of characterizing it. And so that you don't even realize it sounds actually like the there has been a decrease in the uh, in the border, a decrease in the number of people at the border lies, damn lies and statistics is the phrase attributed, I think, to Mark Twain. So what they're doing at the border is the Biden administration is saying, oh, look, it's way down. It's not 200,000. It's 120,000 went down, except they they carved out about 100,000 from another one. And then they carved out another one that they're not doing. The real number is probably somewhere around 300,000. I'm just I'm getting these numbers ballparked. But we'll talk in a few moments with Todd Benzman. And we will talk about exactly what's going on at the border and what it all means. It it means that for the last year or so, year and a half, it's been terrible. It's gotten a little bit worse, but it's steadily terrible. But they're lying about it. And when they lie about it and the media covers it, that's it. That's the truth. So over the weekend, if you were watching Twitter, and I didn't look at this stuff very much, but I did, I think it was on Sunday over the weekend, because I was, I did not watch uh, on, on Saturday night, there was uh, Spaces, uh, one of the Twitter services, an audio sort of group audio service. I did not listen when they were telling the stories about uh, or describing what was going on in Russia. Turns out they weren't really right. At the time, people were saying, wow, look at this uh, function for Twitter. It's really given us up to the minute. And it turns out they weren't right. But whatever it was, it was a mess. But the media was covering it one way. In the middle of that period, I think it was on Sunday, uh, Elon Musk tweeted about Paul Ehrlich. Paul Ehrlich is a professor. He's now 91 or two. He was a professor in the 19, late 1960s, maybe. It could have been, it could have been that, certainly in the 1970s. And he wrote a famous book, and the book was called The Population Bomb. The I think that's the title of it. Uh, and uh, and it was uh, maybe, a, yeah, The Population Bomb. And it was a, a big hit. 
it was a big hit. And it basically said the population is growing too fast. And therefore, we have to do something about it. Yeah, he's still alive. He is a uh, he. The population bomb is the name of the book. Sorry, I'm finding my notes. He um, he was a professor at various times in de- various parts of the country, um, ending up at one for a large stretch at Stanford University, I think. Um, but he um, his book population bomb basically said oh it's doom we're doomed we have way too many people uh we're going to be overrun there'll be a famine worldwide famine within a few years it's going to be really bad it's going to be terrible we should do something about it and here's what i want to point out to you the book was popular it was 1968 it got some attention sold some copies but here's what he said i watched him and he said i had a little bit of national attention because i had a big book And people were paying attention to the book. He said, then I was put on Johnny Carson and I was on Johnny Carson 20 times. And he said, by the time I was done, I think he said I had 60, I had six chapters, six, six chapters and 600 people who are forming these chapters talking about population overpopulation and all. And when I was done being on Johnny Carson, I had 600 chapters with 60,000 or some number like that. The the bottom line is he was able to use the platform of Johnny Carson and the tonight show. Uh, it, It was the, the, it was the, 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 um, how to say it, the, the, um, uh, you know, the acceleration of that whole movement was because of the Tonight Show. And my point here is to caution people. You say to each other and to yourselves, well, we're getting the truth out on Twitter. That's not how most people get their truth. They're still getting a lot of it from the mainstream news. And certainly a lot of the voters are. Young people may be on Twitter and social media and all different things. But when it comes to voters who are by and large a little bit older, you have a much different situation, a situation where people are persuaded by the coverage and the coverage from early Saturday until Monday at noon or Monday at Monday at, in the middle of the day, I guess there, it was there was a coup. The coup was going to be on Saturday. The coup was going to be 100 percent successful. Mars, Moscow was in sight of the rebels. They were going to overthrow everything as the end of time, end of Putin, end of everything by Sunday at the same time. The coup plotters had left the country and fled to a different place and they were gone and it was over and it was never anything. And by Monday, we were told maybe it was all a lie. So who knows what's true? And maybe more importantly, who knows what's true in every other aspect, in other aspects of what we're looking at, what we're being told. Which brings me to this question. I was walking down the street on um, on Monday. I guess it was Monday around lunch. And lo and behold, coming across the street towards me was a gray haired gentleman. Didn't look too old, actually. His hair is pretty gone gray, but it was he does not look old. He's always looks very young. And it was Stephen Moore. Stephen Moore is the economist who for the last, I don't know, 20 years has been very well uh, known and well regarded for his um, analysis of the economy, his theories on how taxes impact the economy, his in practice, his role in the Trump administration in assisting in tax cuts. And now he's over at the Heritage Foundation and he's writing and different doing different things. And I saw him and I said, hey, Stephen, we've had him at some of our Eagle events. He's a very funny speaker, actually. He's a very he's a very good speaker. He, he does a very good job of, clear, of of being clear and not too esoteric on the economy and all. But he's also really funny. Really, really funny. Great, great sense of humor, great timing. And so we stood stood on the street and I said, hey, let me ask you a question. Everything I see in the economy, 
makes me like nervous beyond belief. Everything I see in terms of spending, in terms of inflation, every time I go to the store and go get food and I realize, by the way, my uh, bacon is back up two more bucks, two bucks. A, it's a big, uh, a massive, uh, a massive slab of bacon. So it's um, it's up two bucks and, and that's up from. So it's up from eleven ninety nine. It's now up to, I think, sixteen ninety nine over the last three years. But that's the only, not the only thing in terms of inflation. So I said, Stephen, what's the deal? And he said, you know what? He said, the fact is unemployment's low enough. It's holding. It's, you know, it's, and that's good. And everything he said, the economy is pretty good right now. He said that. He said, but I take your point. It feels very tenuous. It feels like it's on the edge. And he, I said, so what do you do in that case? And he said, you don't do anything. He said, you know, you, you have to describe the problems. You have to pay attention to what's going on. But, you know, if the economy's moving along, okay, you know, you ho- hope that it's going the right direction isn't going to change. But I think that's about right. I think that's about right. And I said to him, <laughs> when, when they lie about the border, they just change the numbers, which is what Todd Benzman says in this essay. We'll talk to him in a moment. And when they lie about the numbers and they don't know what they're talking about when it comes to uh, the, um, the Russia coup, they basically report one thing. It turns out not to be true. They report another. It turns out not to be true. Then they write think pieces that say, oh, this is going to be really bad for everybody. They basically don't know. We we have a media that either lies or is clueless or both. In turn, they seem to do that. It's a very it's a difficult time to figure out what's what and where it is. And that's, I think, the biggest question is how do we picture the next 15 or 16 months until the next election in terms of what is true and what people hear again. And I'll go back to this. Sometimes it doesn't matter what's really true. Sometimes it doesn't matter what we know. What able to be pushed out as the narrative in the case of say, Oh, I'm sorry. I lost the mic there for a second. In the case of say uh, Paul Ehrlich, his book was published by a publishing house, right? He was a professor. Okay. But then it was amplified by Johnny Carson. And then it became, it's like Greta Thunberg. Is Greta Thunberg that deep a thinker or was she a convenient message deliverer for the narrative they wanted, for the narrative that they pushed? And how's that going to go? What's the narrative going to be in the next 15, 16, 17 months? I tell you, <laughs> that's what you need to know. I'm not sure we know what that answer is, but it's going to be a big one. We're going to be facing it. So we'll talk about uh, that and a lot more in a few moments. Uh, Todd Benzman and much more. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for your daily email there, the daily wink, ProAmericaReport.com. What you need to know, follow me on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin, and we will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I wish I had put the rec- hit the record button just a moment ago here on the Pro-America Report offline or whatever we should call it. I was talking with Todd Benzman, my friend now for many years, about what's going on down at the border. And it was probably as interesting as the interview we're about to do. Sorry about that, Todd, but it was interesting mm-hmm. to put you on the spot and talk. We're talking to Todd Benzman, uh, toddbenzman.com. You can go find his book there, Overrun, uh, awesome book. And he's basically been right about everything, unfortunately. 
unfortunately. Uh, so he's got a piece out this morning um, or ran a couple of days ago on the Federalist, and he sent an email out. If you get on his email list, you'll get these. He's over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. He's the national senior national security fellow. Um, the Biden's border crisis is as bad as ever. His administration is just better at hiding it. Three ways that's happening. And um, so, uh, Todd, welcome back. Uh, walk us through the three ways real quickly. People can read the column, too. But uh, walk us through these three ways that they're better at hiding it or they're hiding it. I'll, I'll try my best to be quick about it. I uh, <laughs> don't know if I'll su- succeed, but uh, we've talked about this quite a few times on your show. Uh, the CBP one cell phone app. Yeah, uh, they are. They are bring They are uh, bringing rechanneling people who would have crossed in the brush illegally over the river or whatever. Uh, and they're incentivizing them to cross through the ports of entry so that they don't have to count them as illegal. And that's how they're able to claim 70 percent declines. But what they're not telling you is that it looks like we're bringing in about 80,000 uh, a month through the uh, different ports, the land ports and flying them in right into American interior airports. Uh, and that would mostly make up for this decline that they're talking about. Uh, in May, we had 169,000 cross between the ports of entry illegally, which is, by the way, just as a standard, uh, you know, blows every record we've ever had out of the water, 169,000 in one month. But that is lower than, you know, the 200,000 right. that we typically have. But if you account for the ones they're bringing in through yeah. CBP one, right, 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 it, it's it a, makes it makes right up for it. It's, yeah, uh, it's just it, it's just a, it's a it's a trick. And I mean, respecting all respect given, if you're trying to hide the ball, it's a clever way to do it, right? I mean, that's what they're it doing. Is clever. So that's that's way one. Way two is that the tough punishments that they promised were going to replace Title Forty Two to force people into those CBP one lines on, on the Mexican side and back home, they're not enforcing them against family units, unaccompanied minors, pregnant women, uh, and uh, really tens of thousands of adult males from a hundred different countries in the world, because we don't have agreements to return to deport. So there are just uh, tens upon tens of thousands of families uh, spiking up radically, spiking up because they've learned that nobody's going to bother them. Right, if they cross right. illegally; they're getting in. Right, so the families are absolutely pouring in right now. I'm getting reports from the. I mean, they are just pouring in by the thousands down hmm. in a couple of different areas, and so are single men in the Rio Grande Valley and Yuma. And all of those people are in Border Patrol custody for approximately 24 hours. They move them as fast as they can. They give them papers, release on their own recognizance, report in at some point down the line in the city of your choice. What Just that same old thing that's going on. So the, the, the entire world has heard about this. If you're from Eritrea, Sudan, Egypt, Lebanon, Somalia, anywhere in Africa, China, Anywhere in Asia, uh, you can get in and and get right on in without CBP one with nothing. And the third way is uh, you can just hire a smuggler and run. And those numbers are on a hmm. very sharp incline as well. 
Wow. So between the runners, Godaways, CBP one, and the recalcitrant country people are the ones that, you know, the single men, we are right where we have always been in the plus 200,000 a month range. Don't let them tell you anything different. It's a lie. Uh, we're talking with Todd Benzman. Uh, his book is Overrun, uh, uh, Bombardier Press, uh, Post Hill Bombardier Press. Um, great book. Uh, ToddBenzman.com. Check him out. National Security, Senior National Security Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. A lot of uh, action over there at CIS.org. Um, Todd, don't let him tell you any different. So are these numbers the same as they were, say, a year ago? And then uh, they are dramatically different than the end of the Trump administration, right? So so first, first that narrow question, is that these are when you put them all together, the numbers are the same or worse than they've been a year ago and then compared to Trump? They're the same as they were a year ago or even two years ago, because that's when we started okay. hitting 200,000 a month Got plus. It. But 200,000 a month plus compares with 30,000 a month under Trump. So this is just a whole new world. There is no comparison whatsoever. Trump bequeathed one of the most secure borders that we've ever seen to the Biden administration. They turned around and just blew it up. The whole thing uh, and did this to uh, us. Todd, um, <laughs> what, so uh, what is the, um, I, I know what I want to ask you. You were a journalist and you, you were a journalist in the past, investigative journalist. You were, uh, worked in public, uh, public, um, uh, uh, law enforcement, pu- public law enforcement, yeah, law enforcement intelligence. Um, but say it this way, it seems like it's worked. What I mean by that is the Biden administration has been able to hide the numbers and therefore take away a hook that the media should or could cover. In fact, they cover it the opposite way. They say, oh, look, this number's down. Isn't that great? They're getting control. And therefore, it's worked in the sense that, uh, do you agree, the border crisis and the massive influx is not popularly covered by the media. And therefore, I'm not sure it's popularly understood. Oh, that was very well said. It was brilliant, really. I mean, as a public relations political matter, political public relations matter, it was brilliant because what they did was they just moved uh, tens of thousands. It's probably going to be 100,000 a month this month uh, from a very visible look with Fox News drones hanging over as they turn themselves in a terrible, terrible look to a place where nobody can see it. Because they're on the bridges, they're on the the ports of entry, blending in with everybody. You can't see what they what this looks like. And in that sense, uh, really, I mean, it was it, it was brilliant. And and lastly, it's complex, and right. they are able to hide behind the complexity of what they're doing. Americans, I've just explained it to you. Right, I explain it over and over and over again. But I, I'm going to bet that there's a good portion of your listening audience that still isn't going to quite get it. CBP one, a cell phone app, the what, you know, like it's just kind of complicated and not easy to explain. And so the narrative that they've crafted of 70% declines goes unchallenged all day long for weeks and months now. And the media left the, the field. Uh, and that is a huge victory for the Biden administration while they are still importing hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people a quarter, uh, millions, we're going to have probably 
somewhere on the order of two and a half million people enter the country for 2023, actually get in and enter, be brought into the country in a, in a year. Wow. So it it is, um, it is, uh, I mean, it's all, as you say, it's that they've made the story complex enough that you to piece it together. People who are hearing in sound bites and, and journalists who are reporting in sound bites aren't getting it. All right. We just got about a minute left, Todd. What's next? It, it does the hot summer uh, slow things down. Does it mean we're going to have uh, you know, tragically a a you know truckload full of uh, illegals die? What What's coming in the next uh, couple of months? Well, Here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing, I mentioned to you about the families coming through and all the single adults from all the different countries. They they have figured it out that they don't need CBP-1 to be allowed into the country, that that the administration is not doing any of the punishments that they promised. And so I think that we're going to start to see the numbers flip to Mm. far more crossing illegally than will are willing to wait in line I see. in Mexico for CBP1 we're seeing it right now i mean uh you know just thousands of venezuelans just showed up mm. at the border yesterday wow. at del uh, rio and yeah. Todd, unfortunately, Todd, I'm out of I'm out of time. I got to go on a hard break. Uh, Todd Benzman, everybody, I will put up a link to his story. We will take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, Very interesting. I was reading the newspaper and in the New York Times, which, you know, you have to read the opposition. You have to check out what's going on. uh, There was a piece on the anniversary of Dobbs, the Dobbs decision, which we've talked uh, about last week, late last week. And it referenced Sean Carney. He's the president and chief executive of 40 Days for Life. Uh, They were they sponsored a big rally, uh, anniversary rally at Link at the Lincoln Memorial down in D.C. over the weekend. And uh, so and I got one of his people offered to have him come on the program. So we've got him. Sean Carney, welcome to the Pro-America Report. How are you? Good. Good to be back. You know, um, hey, Sean, the thing that I like best is I, I know politics. I also know some of the pro-life stuff, but the politics people want to say, oh, no, 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 don't talk about life. Don't, don't, don't talk about life. And you guys are sort of fearlessly in there at 40 Days for Life saying, hey, look, this is what we care about. We're building the culture of life. We care about the politics, but we're not going to step away from celebrating. We're not going to step away from highlighting it. I think that works. It's genuine. It's real. Do you find, though, that you uh, that your rank and file folks get a lot of pressure to, I don't know, play small P politics on the issue of how to highlight it? It feels like we got a lot of that from the media in the last three or four or five weeks running up to this anniversary. Yeah, I I do. And I I think that's one of the reasons we ended up ironically getting great media coverage. I mean, I nearly fell over dead reading that New York Times article. It was very positive. They interviewed me the Thursday before Dobbs. Uh, We had a lot of national media coverage around the one year anniversary of Dobbs. And and we should because abortion is the most controversial issue of our time. Thank God. Still, we're more uncomfortable with it now than we ever have been in our history. And we're winning. That is in my opinion, the only cultural front that we are winning right Mm. now in the culture war is the life issue. And you look at politicians who don't cower, but who own the very basic common sense scientific view. um, And and they defend the life and they they own their pro-life stance. And 
they won big. DeSantis won big. Greg Abbott, where I live, won big in Texas. Uh, Kemp won big. And these horrible candidates lost. And they should have lost. They were bad candidates and should have never been running. So um, I find that I'm, I hope that it continues to be a major issue. I don't think we should run from it. Uh, 40 Days for Life is the organization. We're talking with uh, Sean uh, Carney, who is the uh, head of the organization 40, the number 40 days for life.com. You can check out lots of different things going on, lots of locations, lots of people involved. Um, after Dobbs, a lot of talk about people, uh, you know, okay, celebrating. A lot of people never thought it would be possible. And then. Uh, they, they're not exactly lethargy. Nobody says that, but they say, well, people are sort of confused. How's your grassroots? How's people that are uh, where you are in terms of the front line? How are they responding? Did you have to re-engage them? Do you, I mean, you always have to do that, but what's the, what's your sense of where we are in terms of the grassroots regular folks that are drawn to the kind of work you're doing? Yeah, that's a great question. I know some people thought, well, the pro-lifers are going to pop the champagne and then and then go away. And the opposite happened for us. We had record growth right after Dallas. Wow. Oh, yeah. So we lost a lot of cities. You you know, we hold peaceful vigils outside of abortion facilities. We're in 1,500 cities in 64 countries around the world. But in the U.S., we lost cities for the best reason, which is their abortion facility closed post row, but we still added so many new U.S. cities that we grew. We had our largest fall 40 Days for Life campaign and our largest spring 40 Days for Life campaign ever um, after Dobbs. And that surprised me, I got to tell you, because I just what happened was something you hope for, but you're not sure it's actually going to occur, which is the people in the middle and on the sidelines. I'm pro-life, but I don't know if I'd ever really get involved. They realized this is a winner. Let's go. And we need a win in the culture war. So we brought on a record number of new volunteers and record number of cities. Um, Sean, how do you address again? Our guest is uh, Sean Carney, who is the uh, CEO and the head of uh, 40 Days for Life. Again, 40 Days for Life. I'll put it up on uh, social media. Um, how, how do you uh, address the dynamic where more um, uh, more uh clinics are closing which would have been for good or bad i mean it mostly bad but in a weird way it was good in the sense that it was a focal point for the community they close right and now planned parenthood and others say hey we're going to go digital we're not going to be bothering trying to do we'll we'll do telemedicine to get them the diagnosis and we'll mail them the drugs and we'll be digital in terms of the approach uh, how do you adjust to that and 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 what's that reality like is it is it oh, i hate to do this but i don't want to be want to be careful i'm not buying into my own bias but is it overblown is it one of those things where oh yeah we're going to get rid of clinics oh no there's still clinics and they're still moving them to the clinics because that's still uh, the the mills is the dynamic what what's going on here yeah you're right it, it is overblown um and you still need abortion facilities obviously to do abortions they are giving getting into the the mail order abortions but a lot of women don't want to do that. I mean, the at-home abortion make abortion makes every woman nervous as she's going in, naturally. Right. Um, but the at-home drugs, at-home chemical abortions, um, it's way overblown. Planned Parenthood has held on to a lot of real estate, to my surprise, in some of these states. I think they're getting ready to sell it off because they're in places like Texas where they just can't operate. They can't do chemical abortions. They can't do surgical abortions. So they'll end up closing. But- they are they are not closing as rapidly as I thought that they would. Planned Parenthood is a very traditional brick and mortar um, uh, business and model and has been for a long time. They want more locations, not less. 
So the the um, chemical abortion threat is in CVS and Walgreens distributing, and that that is a focus of ours, and and we have worked to uh, try to prevent that. And we will have forty days for life campaigns outside of CVS and Walgreens as well. But that's a that's a bigger threat. I think what Planned Parenthood is doing is way overblown. And um, just like their mobile abortion RV clinics, they were they were bragging about, and those just never came to fruition. Uh, and and also maybe maybe it's a little bit of misdirection and uh, a little bit of uh, you know uh, of, of change in the conversation to look like they're cutting edge. There's an awful lot of that, and it feels like right. you know, people say, "Oh, look at us, we're doing digital," and you're like, "Yeah, I think you're still doing <laughs> running a big fundraiser, right?" For right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Sean Carney, again, um, I, the marking the anniversary um, this past weekend, New York Times had a piece. He's the president and CEO uh, and then chief executive of 40 Days for Life. Uh, how do you feel a year after um, in terms of the um, the uh, new majority? You only got the House, but you do have the House. Or a, a, I think you can say a pro-life majority. Uh, maybe up for grabs a bit. Are, are you seeing much progress there? Are you are you optimistic in in not only maybe uh, oversight function, but uh, framing the argument whether it's Planned Parenthood getting almost seven hundred million dollars or overseas dollars that go to them? I mean, how do you feel about this uh, Republican majority in the House? Well, I feel good now, and I wouldn't have said that. I mean, when you go back to 2020 and and Biden and the most pro-abortion government ever taking over, I know myself and I know pro-abortion people who have been very underwhelmed at what they were able to, to accomplish because it wasn't a whole lot. Right. And they were really unable to accomplish a lot um, with the issue of abortion. And so the other thing is, obviously, this goes to the states and we have all these different state battles. The pro-life movement is very strong at the state level. It's it's very, very strong. It's stronger at the state level than the federal level. I mean, we've just been disappointed in judicial nominations and presidents over the course of, of our movement um, until Trump. And so, you know, now it's really we're in the best position because we didn't have the comforts of Roe as the pro-abortion side did. We had to get to work at the grassroots and that's Mm. why the pro-life movement is much better equipped for a post-Roe America. It is. uh, That's interesting. I like that. I like the way you described it. Um, The, uh, but I got about a minute left. Um, uh, 40 days for life. What's your next year look like? How does it, how does it maybe change in a presidential year? Campaign. We're, we're, we're going to be very aggressive. We're going on offense. We uh, will train more local leaders um, this summer than any time in our history. We hold regional workshops in the most pro-abortion areas of our of our country, California, Seattle, New York. We'll have a record-sized post-row symposium just in a couple of weeks in Florida, where we'll train leaders uh, from across the country. And so morale is very high. And we continue to grow and expand. And we also continue to defend free speech in court, which is very much required. So we got a full plate and we feel good about it. All right, Sean Carney, thank you hey, for taking the time. I know it's busy, and I have to, especially after an uh, event on the weekend. Uh, Sean Carney is the president and CEO of 40 Days for Life, 40, the number, 40daysforlife.com. I will put up on social media links to all that. There's a lot on the website. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. God bless. All right. God bless you. All right. We'll take a break. Uh, great, uh, great organization. A million things happening uh, there, as he mentioned, uh, training and otherwise, but also gathering in your communities. Find the locations where they are. It's a really special community uh, to gather with. So we will take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. 
This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. America should not be touching the war in Ukraine with a 39 and a half foot pole. But the globalists just can't help themselves when it comes to endangering American interests to expand the power of the elites. Pulitzer Prize winning investigator Seymour Hersh released his account accusing President Joe Biden of having ordered the destruction of Russia's Nord Stream pipelines. Last year, Biden declared if Russia invades, there will no longer be a Nord Stream 2. We will bring an end to it. As Biden threatened, after Russia invaded Ukraine, underwater explosions by mines, evidently laid by skilled Navy divers at the bottom of the Baltic Sea, did destroy three of the four Nord Stream pipelines that deliver Russian natural gas to Western Europe. The sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines had an environmental impact, too. It forced 35 tons of chemical weapon residue to resurface after lying dormant on the seabed since being dumped there after World War II. This harmful disturbance included arsenic and mustard gas chemical agents. In addition, the sabotage of this pipeline caused the release of 115,000 tons of natural gas in over six days. Such a massive release of hydrocarbons would require 600 million trees a year to absorb. Yet not a word from the Biden administration about the environmental harm that resulted. Biden's State Department point person for Ukraine, Victoria Nuland, even said she was very gratified that the Russian pipeline had become a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea. The deep state's gratification surely includes knowledge of who committed this crime, which they conceal from the American people. Biden refuses to confess who did it, but I bet a President Trump would tell us. Despite what the mainstream media might be saying, Ukraine is far from being a bastion of democracy. Like Russia, they are a corrupt regime run by veritable gangsters who always skim a little bit off the top for themselves. What business does America have propping up these oligarchs? This is what happens when globalists are allowed to be put in charge of our foreign policy. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, find, follow, and share our news and views on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Parler, Gab, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, I, I have an interesting story to tell you. It's really a wonderful story. It's um, uh, educational and, and important. So um, welcome back, by the way, to the Pro-America Report. So I, there I was. I have a friend, a friend of a friend. I'll say it that way. He connected me with a woman named Tiffany Justice. Now, if you follow things closely, you've heard her name because she is the founder of Moms for Liberty. Moms for Liberty is this grassroots group. She herself served on the Board of Education in her town, in her county. And they started this group, Moms for Liberty, basically saying, hey, we're not going to take it and organizing. And they've been extraordinarily successful. And they they have their big summit, uh, Philadelphia, uh, with uh, President Trump, uh, a part of it. And Tiffany Justice and her colleague, and I, and now I'm embarrassed that I have, and I had her name in my head, Tina, um, and uh, I'll figure, I'll remember it uh, in a second. But um, the two, these two women, 
who are moms said, you know what, we're not going to take it. And they organized things and it's exploded. It's an extraordinary um, organization. Their mission, which I wrote down, Moms for Liberty, is dedicated to fighting for the survival of America by unifying, educating and empowering parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government. About that, uh, and their vision is Americans empowered and thriving in a culture of liberty. So uh, extraordinary, and I, I've known of Tiff- Tiffany Justice by name, uh, Tina Deskovich. That's her name, Tina Deskovich, the co-founder. And so Tiffany, um, we were connected by a friend, and then we played phone tag or something, and then we played texting tag. Anyway, we had lunch, uh, and when we had lunch, the first thing she showed me said, "I want to show you something." She reached into her bag and took out a book. Now, the book is called Child Abuse in the Classroom, and the book was first published 40 years ago in 1984, just under 40 years ago. Child Abuse in the Classroom, it's the official transcript of the proceedings before a committee, uh, a series of committee hearings, actually. They were in Washington State, uh, Pennsylvania, Missouri, Arizona, New Hampshire, Florida, and then D.C., and Phyllis Schlafly, back 40 years ago, published Child Abuse in the Classroom was a book, a, a paperback book uh, of almost, uh, I don't know how many pages, almost 450 pages, I think. And it has a foreword from Phyllis, which Tiffany said she reads periodically because it inspires her and gets her fired up. And then it has the transcripts of what was going on and what happened 40 years ago, Child Abuse in the Classroom and how what was happening and what and how and how um, the uh, the. Um, uh, federal money that flowed into education was not as as Phyllis says not the solution. It wasn't the solution. It was a part of the problem. A part of the problem in a way because there were too many things happening in the classroom that were so bad. Anyway, the Hatch Amendment, the Hatch Amendment came out of that, which was supposed to protect our parents and our parental rights. So I had this wonderful conversation with Tiffany Justice, who explained to me that this document, uh, this book. Oh, and I should pause and tell you, I think. The book sold paperback copy. I think it sold three million copies. Some extraordinary number of copies. It had it had um, it had I think uh, four or five editions that were published because it was so popular and was selling so many copies because parents were motivated. Now, the interesting question, and this is what I talked to Tiffany Justice quite a bit about, was how do you galvanize the parental concern over parental rights? over what's happening in our schools. And we were sort of questioning, or at least I started the questioning. I said, you know, after the COVID, the pandemic hit, and so many parents were appalled by what they saw in the classrooms, you felt like we'd hit a tipping point and we'd never go back. And we sort of did. We sort of did. But, you know, in a lot of places... Parents are still on their heels. They're still uh, having to play defense against the powerful interests, whether it's the teachers unions, the superintendents, whatever, however you want to think of the interests in this in this case uh, that oppose the parents. And a lot of parents, I hate to say it, I don't I don't know this, but my description would be they had to go back to work. They had to, they got busy. They have their lives racing around, you know, moving forward. And so I think the Moms for Liberty, Liberty along with other groups, has really honed in on the uh, on the way to organize. And here's one controversial thing I'm going to say. And remember, I head up a a long time. Uh, one of the it's the, considered the first pro family group started in the 70s. Um, the you know, the Eagles, Phyllis Life, the Eagles, Eagle Forum. And so when I say this, I am being self-critical. The new groups 
like Tiffany Justice's group, the new groups that have come forward, that have stepped forward in this way, uh, have had. And uh, I should I want to make sure Tina Deskovich, uh, Tiffany and Tina, the started this. These new groups have a sort of energy and a focus that is how to say refreshing, rejuvenating. It's good for everybody. And in this meeting that I had, I think I was on Tiffany's list. She met with me. She was going to meet with some of the folks at Heritage Foundation. She was she was moving and shaking, and mostly she was shaking. I mean, she was moving to get there, but she was shaking people up. She was saying, hey, how do you see this stuff? How does it fit together? I mentioned at her Philadelphia summit, uh, President Trump is going to be there. And and uh, 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 Tiffany and uh, Tina, they have they, they are aware of politics their focus is on empowering the parents and especially moms but they're aware of politics they're not they're not it's not happening in a vacuum very impressive very impressive and i'm really grateful that she uh returned uh and and that she was talking about child abuse in the classroom this work that again phyllis schlafly it's a transcript of these events but also it is um her forward, which is about 25 pages, a little bit less than 25 pages, and explains a lot of stuff that's happening, a lot of what's happening and uh, how uh, it is happening. By the way, on the back of the book, the one I'm looking at is a later printing. Thomas Sowell has a quote there about these 1984 hearings because they went around the country and did these hearings. People could come in and talk about what they were seeing, what's happening in their schools, and it was sort of a, a um, how to say, it was a um, uh, cathartic but it led to action, and it, it was a sympathetic education department at the time, so the action could uh, could get something done. The, uh, the voices lifted, and the action could get something done, so we need more of that. All right, uh, congratulations uh, to Tiffany and her team. Pay attention to them, and read that book. Get the book, Child Abuse in the Classroom, still available over at phyllisschlafly.com. Okay, everybody, we're done. Let me say thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, as well as Ryan Hyde, associate producer. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back. Uh, tomorrow. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.